KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Thursday, August 17th. The impact of the fire that destroyed the El Centro Planned Parenthood. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The first set of unofficial election results to fill the District 4 Supervisor vacancy are in. Here's San Diego County Registrar voter Cynthia Paz. When all of the vote centers reported and we tabulated all of those votes, we were estimating 20,000 outstanding ballots. Currently, Monica Montgomery Stepp is in the lead with a little over 40% of the votes counted. Amy Reichert is in second place with 29% and Janessa Goldbeck is in third with 25%. The unofficial results will be updated at 5 p.m. today. For the latest results, visit sdvote.com. The hot weather is expected to peak in the county's inland areas today. Temperatures will be in the high 80s, but some relief is near as it's expected to cool down in the inland areas a bit tomorrow. A heat advisory is in effect for the county's mountains and an excessive heat warning is in effect for desert areas. Both advisories will be in place until 8 p.m. tonight. Temperatures will be in the high 80s in the mountains and reach up to 111 in the county's deserts. Tijuana's Little League All-Star Baseball team will be playing against Japan in the Little League World Series tomorrow. Japan beat Cuba yesterday, moving them on to Friday's game. The Tijuana Little Leaguers haven't been in the World Series since 2013. If Mexico wins tomorrow's game, they will play again on Monday against the winner of today's Canada versus Asia Pacific game. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Authorities are still investigating what caused a Planned Parenthood clinic to burn down in El Centro. It's the only reproductive health care clinic in all of Imperial County. And as health reporter Matt Hoffman tells us, it provided services for people coming from out of state and south of the border. A devastating fire has nearly burned Planned Parenthood's El Centro Health Center to the ground. Firefighters say the cause is still under investigation, but they believe it started at a nearby Salvation Army Donation Center before engulfing the area's primary sexual health care provider. Sandra Duran with Planned Parenthood of the Pacific Southwest says the loss is devastating, but they will reopen as soon as possible. A lot of the patients we see don't have health insurance. They have low incomes, you know, they need to, to get care here. So we are trying to do everything we can to restore access. We're committed to rebuilding. The El Centro Clinic not only served residents of Imperial Valley, but up to 50% of the patients came from out of state or Mexico. Planned Parenthood officials have been moving appointments to centers in San Diego or Riverside while they try to figure out temporary solutions. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News.
School is back in session for students in the Poway Unified District. Their first day was yesterday. Education reporter M.G. Perez has more on what they'll face this fall. Poway Unified is the third largest school district in San Diego County with 41 campuses and more than 35,000 students in TK through 12th grade. Like most districts, the semester begins with a list of academic priorities that include programs for regaining learning loss and providing adequate mental health services in the aftermath of COVID. Lisa McGuire is principal at Garden Road Elementary. We're kind of over COVID, but now it's going to be like we really need to raise all of our academics. We had a little gap, but now it's really going to be hitting it hard with academics. Despite the challenges last year, Poway Unified was able to maintain a 94% graduation rate of its high school senior class. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. We're continuing our interviews with authors who will be at the San Diego Union Tribune 7th Annual Festival of Books this Saturday. Chris Barron is a local author and one of the festival's headliners. His latest middle grade novel, The Gray, looks at the realities of middle schoolers struggling with anxiety. It follows 11-year-old Sasha who spends a summer in the country with his widowed aunt as an escape from his daily life. Disconnected from technology, he finds new ways to cope with his anxiety. This is Barron's third novel. He won the San Diego Writers' Award in 2021 and is also a professor and coordinator of the English Center at San Diego City College. Barron spoke with my colleague Jade Heidman about the novel. Here's part of their conversation. So the title, The Gray, is how the lead Sasha refers to episodes of anxiety he experiences. Could you tell us more about The Gray and what it means to Sasha? Yeah, I think um, for Sasha, The Gray is like this fog. Things get foggy for him when he experiences these episodes of anxiety and the world itself kind of, you know, the, the gray rolls over him. And it changes the way things look, the way things taste, and the way he's able to function and deal with things. And he can't totally understand it. It's almost like he enters a different world. And all your books are are very personal, and The Gray is really no different. Where did the inspiration for The Gray first come from? Yeah, you're right. I mean, (laughs) definitely all my books are personal. I, I always tell my students, you know, like, you have to write what you know. And... I know that's almost a cliche in writing and for writing teachers, but I think it's really true. We write from our experiences and then we use fiction, um, at least I do, to explore the truths of that situation and to see where and explore where things can go. For the gray, it really does come from a time in my life where, you know, I grew up in an artist family and lived in New York City, just like Sasha does in the gray. And my mom, as the artist, decided we need to move to upstate New York to live in nature. And that's what happened to me. Uh, I left the city life. I went to PS6. And by that summer, we were living in upstate New York. And it was really challenging if you've ever had to move. And I think the kids out there have to move. And I know kids are resilient. Mm -hmm. Um, I was as resilient as a kid could be. Uh, But it's difficult. And it causes a lot of, you know, sort of many traumas and changes in friends and environment. Uh, And so a lot of of what I experienced when 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 I moved were things that my characters experience. Like in the Magical Imperfect, it was selective mutism. So that's some of the some of the manifestations of anxiety that occurred for me was 
selective mutism and also this this sense of anxiety of being in a new place and how to function. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And I can also imagine, you know, it being tough to process those things as a child, you know, um, you know, and the pandemic has really exacerbated a lot of the anxieties and, and societal pressures young people face. How is it different for kids now who cope with anxiety, you think, um, compared to when you first uh, were growing up with it? Yeah, I think that's it's a really good point. I, I think when, when I was growing up, you know, in the 80s, um, we didn't understand mental health concerns the way we do now. And thankfully, there's so many good professionals now for, and and teachers and just parents who are aware of these issues. But I think we were aware of them then. But for me, you know, it was it was more of a, 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 a phrase you'd hear it'd be like toughen up or deal with it. And it was the same root of love from parents and, and people who were caring for the kids, but we didn't always understand the gravity of it. And I think today, thankfully, we have a lot more resources, but I think in the, these core pandemic years, there's this like void that opened up and a lot of kids are experiencing, you know, this transition back to maybe what once was and that there's sort of this no new normal. And so how do they fit in? And it's causing, causing more anxiety than ever. So like I said, thankfully, we have more help and more understanding, but we also have many more cases of kids dealing with this and grappling with these concerns. Mm. We'd like to have you read a brief excerpt from your book. Could we have you introduce it to us? Absolutely. Yeah, this is a, a part in the beginning of the book where Sasha is reluctantly leaving the city after agreeing with his parents and his therapist that a break from everything is what's really needed. But of course, he doesn't want to go. So he's in the car and he's heading out to upstate New York with his mom. And she's, you know, he's remembering his, his wonderful times out there when he was younger, seeing things and starting to remember. But his mom, of course, is really, really worried. So she starts to sort of press him to remember some of the, the techniques for dealing with his anxiety. We passed the huge horse ranch, long pastures spread out against the hills, small clearings and creeks. I start to imagine the crunch of leaves under my feet. It's like the forest wants me to remember it. Remember, mom says, listen to Aunt Ruthie, enjoy riding horses, and if things get tough, promise me you'll try using the grounding technique. I sigh. The grounding technique is the newest thing we've been working on. It's supposed to help me when my anxiety feels out of control. I pull out a folded index card out of my pocket, that one that we worked on together, and I read it out loud to practice and to make her happy. Five, look. Look around for five real things you can see and say them out loud. Four, pay attention to your body and think of four things you can feel. Easy things, socks, the soft chair, whatever else. Three, listen. Listen for three sounds, maybe traffic or someone typing, your best friend's voice, or the sound of a power-up in a video game. Two, smell. Say two things out loud that you can smell, good or even bad. One, taste. Say one thing you can taste. Maybe it's pizza or toothpaste or Sour Patch Kids. And then take another deep belly breath. That was author Chris Barron speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hyman. Barron will be on a panel at the Festival of Books on Saturday at 1045 a.m. The festival runs from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at USD. For years, South Bay artists have struggled to bring performing arts to their community. Without exposure, people won't know any better. If you have never seen that ballet, you'll never miss it. If you've never seen an opera, you'll never miss it. We'll have that story and more just after the break. 
Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. For years, artists, theater groups, and dance companies in the South Bay have worked tirelessly to bring the performing arts to life in their communities. But as South Engagement producer Marielena Castellanos tells us, limited funding and public spaces make it a challenge. And I spoke Shakespeare before I spoke English. That's Chula Vista resident William Alejandro Virchis, remembering his first audition at the Old Globe Theater when he was just nine years old. That was a start of his passion for the performing arts. Today, he's the artistic director and one of the founders of the multicultural theater company Teatro Mascara Magica, known for their production of the Christmas Shepherd's Play. Virtue says putting on a play can be expensive. How can you afford it? Lights, sound, you see, look, this is, this is an, an animal that breathes 24 hours a day. And finding a place to perform, that's another challenge. You know, the shepherd's play, La Pasarela, is a metaphor for us. It's an analogy. It's like we're the same shepherds looking for a home. We've been looking for a home forever and ever and ever. Still, Teatro Mascara Magica has performed for decades in San Diego County without a permanent venue. Virtue says he would like to find a space in the South Bay. And we have to show these kids the passion. Without exposure, people won't know any better. If you have never seen that ballet, you'll never miss it. If you've never seen an opera, you'll never miss it. The issue with finding space isn't unique to Chula Vista. That's Pasaka, a Philippine performing arts company based in National City. Ana Maria Labau Cabato is the executive director at the helm since 1987. She says the nonprofit doesn't have the means to support full-time employees. I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but we become resourceful and make do with what we have. And we find joy to continue what we like doing. And we've never skipped a beat. We've never skipped a junior concert 36 years in a row. The dance group owns a building in National City that's used mostly for rehearsals and storage. But Cabato says the building needs repairs, and it's hard to secure funds. You know what? When you're passionate about something, um, that drives you. That, that, that lights the fire under you to keep moving, to keep going on, to striving for better. And I wanted to follow up on the discussion of the almost entire lack of culture and art in Chula Vista with some recommendations and some explanations. That's Christine Brady, a Chula Vista resident of 25 years. As an arts advocate, she's worked with many artists searching to rent out cheap venues. Within, just say one week, we would have 
three producers of productions come and want to rent the space, but there was an in-house group that wanted to use the space, and there was basically nothing available. Brady proposes creating an affordable arts venue on the west side of Chula Vista. But that takes money. Some experts say cities already face a number of financial constraints and the arts often fall by the wayside. This fiscal year, most cities in the South Bay allocated less than 2% of their budgets to the arts. But money for a new venue is just one part of the solution. Experts say the venue has to be financially sustainable while also affordable to local artists. In Chula Vista, Brady feels optimistic. The city has a new mayor and city council, and at a recent meeting, some leaders expressed support for the arts. Brady hopes that support will lead to investment. They need protection. They need to be, their value needs to be recognized. They need to be included. Marielena Castellanos, KPBS News. More from the art scene in the county, KPBS is bringing you a series of stories about public art. For this installment, reporter Katie Heisen sought out the true story behind one Lemon Grove mural. I interviewed Roberto Alvarez Jr. in front of a mural of his family. What did you hear about this time from your parents? Nothing. <laughs> the Lemon Grove incident was nearly lost to time. It wasn't until his Stanford PhD that Alvarez discovered the history. When he interviewed older family members, one phrase kept coming up, the school thing. In 1931, the Lemon Grove School Board tried to send the Mexican-American students to separate classes in an old barn. We always think about Jim Crow. Well, I think it was also Jose Crow. But the parents filed a lawsuit and won. It was the first successful school desegregation case, 23 years before Brown versus the Board of Education. Alvarez says his father was the lead plaintiff, but never spoke about it. Don't be all, you know, loud about it. Just be humble. He wrote his dissertation about it. He's humble about that, too. He says people don't read academic papers. But the mural, I mean, here it is. It's not going away. A child scrawled a message on the bottom. Thank you, great-grandpa, for our rights. We are all equal. Katie Heisen, KPBS News. To see more in the series, go to kpbs.org slash public art. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. Join us again tomorrow for more of the day's top local stories. Plus, we hear from the San Diego Unified Superintendent ahead of the new school year. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Thursday. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.